This morning I'd like to talk about joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. I have two verses up here. In your presence is fullness of joy. God's presence brings joy. Also, I'd like to emphasize this morning that Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. Revelation talks about a thousand years of tribulation. Well, God's people have been experiencing 2,000 years of, of tribulation up to this point. I don't know what all the symbolism is of a thousand years, but Jesus promised that we will have tribulation. But in essence, he said, never mind. Never mind the tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that needs to put joy in our hearts. No matter what we face, joy can be a constant. Joy can be constant because God is with us in his presence, his fullness of joy. Christianity is a religion of joy. Let me read what Cyprian wrote back in A.D. 248, just after Christianity started. He was writing to a friend, and he said, This seems to be a cheerful world when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climb some great mountain and look out over the wide lands, you know very well what I see brigands on the road, pirates on the seas, and in the amphitheater's people murdering each other to please the applauding crowds. And under all roofs, I see misery and selfishness. It is really a bad world, an incredibly bad world. Yet in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of the sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. Isn't that beautiful? That was his testimony. Another person wrote about Christians. They are in constant trouble, but completely fearless and absurdly happy. People, that's Christianity. We are in constant trouble, but we are commanded to fear not, and we are provided with the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. Joy. The Hebrew, it's a religion of joy, and God is a God of joy. The Hebrew language has more words for joy and rejoicing 
than any other language. In the Old Testament, there are 13 roots and 27 words for joy. And most, if not all of them, have to do with participation in worship. The New Testament begins and ends with joy flooding heaven. In Luke 2, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all people. In Revelation, it's about Jesus conquering, the joy of Jesus conquering. Revelation 19, 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So the New Testament is a book of joy. Christianity is a religion of joy. God is a God of joy. So what is the source of joy? What is the source of true joy? The verse that we read God's presence. God is the source of joy. God is ever-present. Let's just turn to uh, Psalm 16, where that verse comes from. Psalm 16, we'll read a few verses there. There's some prophecy in here about the Messiah, but as we identify with the Messiah, uh, it's... This can be about us as well. Psalm 16, we'll begin reading in verse 5. Psalm 16, 5. O Lord, and thinking again of God's presence bringing joy. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. It's about our place, about the presence. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. That's God's presence. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. In other words, the difficulties, the tribulation, and and even death will not keep us. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if God is the, the presence of God brings joy... Why do you see people who seem joyless? Why do you see Christians who seem joyless? God is present. He's everywhere present. So shouldn't everybody have joy? Well, a response is required to God's presence. Maybe God is present, but maybe we aren't present. Maybe we aren't present. And I like the way verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. We need to come into spiritual disciplines and uh, do exercises and live life in such a way where we bring God into focus. We keep our focus on God. 
We need to bring ourselves, put out distractions, and bring ourselves into his presence. Make space for his presence. Yes, he's everywhere present, but if we're absent, that doesn't do us any good. And you've experienced that. You're in the presence of someone, and a conversation is going on, and they are, you can tell their mind is way somewhere else. They are abs they're physically present, but they are absent. That's the way we are with God sometimes. We need to be in his presence. We need to set him, set ourselves before him and set himself, put him in our focus, make space for his presence in our lives. He doesn't force himself, even though he's everywhere present, he doesn't force himself upon anyone. We need to respond to his presence and be present so that we can experience his joy. His presence, in his presence, is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Here's some verses from Nehemiah. This is after they had read from the law and they found out they were doing a lot of things wrong. In other words, they were sinning and they were weeping and they were mourning for their sin. They were repenting. They were choosing to turn away from their sin. And this is what Nehemiah said to all the people. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The point I want to make with this passage is that repentance brings joy. When, when there is no repentance, there is no joy. But joy follows repentance. Yes, God's presence brings joy, but if we're sinful, we can experience and enjoy his presence. His joy will not radiate through us. There needs to be a response. There needs to be a turning from sin. And as the, there is that turning from sin, then his joy can fill us because there's forgiveness of sin. We experience joy. So his presence brings joy, repentance. Uh, joy follows repentance. Now I'd like for you to turn to John 16. There's a number of verses there we want to read. That's where this verse comes from that uh, uh, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. John 16. Just a number of verses here about his joy and how his joy cannot be taken away from us. Let's begin reading in verse 5. John 16, 5. Jesus is talking about the fact that he is going away. So if his presence brings joy, now Jesus is telling his followers that he's going to go away. How are they going to have joy? Well, he's, he's telling them that he's going to, when he goes away, he'll send his spirit. And his spirit will be poured out on all men, on all humanity. And the presence of his spirit was more universal than Jesus' physical presence. So Jesus, because he went back to the Father and sent his spirit, 
he was actually more present to everyone. And they, they couldn't understand it. It's kind of hard for us to understand it sometimes. But this, nevertheless, this is what he says. Okay, John 16, 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things, that he's going away, to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Okay? That's what we see. We see people in sorrow because it seems like Jesus left. Sorrow. I just want you to, to, to get this thing about there's sorrow, but joy at the same time. Okay? Verse 6, but because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now go down to verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he will speak. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will tell you things to come. I want you to catch that verse, because later I'm going to talk about when somebody has joy, it's because of something they know. Okay? When there's certain things that we know, it gives us joy. And here it says the Spirit, verse 13 says, the Spirit will tell you things to come. So you will know something. All right? Now verse 16. A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. All right, here's one thing we can know because Jesus said it. You might not see him right now and things may look dark, but he's coming back. He's coming back. That can give us joy because we know he's coming back. All right? Now verse 20. Some more, we'll read 20 through 24. Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament. Look, there's sorrow and sadness. Tribulation again. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned to joy. And then he gives an illustration of a woman giving birth. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. No one can take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. So what I want to emphasize with these verses is that there's sorrow. There's a sense of Jesus is missing. There's a sense that we can't see everything that's happening. There's a sense where we are as a woman in labor 
and it's painful. But joy is coming. There's joy to push through. There's joy to go through to the end. And there's joy in relationship with Jesus. He talks about asking and receiving and the joy of that relationship with Jesus. And this joy, he says, no one can take it from you. It's an inner joy. It doesn't have anything to do with the way other people act or what other people do or the terrible things that can happen, the circumstances around us. It's an inner joy, and no one can take the joy from us. Now, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So this is the the thing I want you to get from this message if you don't get anything else. Joy is the fruit of a conviction that Christ will eventually conquer through suffering. Christ will conquer through suffering. He suffered when he was here on earth. Now he will conquer through our suffering. He will conquer through suffering. And we can know that. We can know that by faith. When somebody is smiling, by the way, joy is called love smiling. And when somebody's smiling, it often makes you wonder what they know that you don't. Joy is love smiling. And we know, we by faith, we can know something that most of the world doesn't. And that's what gives us joy. Joy. We know that our suffering will end. Let's sing J-O-Y. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, J-O-Y must be. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, J-O-Y must be. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. What is joy? What does it mean to have the joy of the Lord? The dictionary says it's the emotion. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires, delight. That's a dictionary definition. But joy, the fruit of the Spirit, is so much more. It is more than an emotion. How can we describe it? Let's talk a little bit about what joy is not. Think about joy versus happiness, or joy versus pleasure. Americans have much pleasure, but little joy. Foreigners that come to visit this country remark about that. The people are so, they even say unhappy. Lots of pleasure and some happiness, but so little joy. 
That's what Americans are known for. Happiness is the result of what happens. Joy is not circumstantial. Happiness comes from getting what my flesh wants. Joy comes by having what my spirit longs for, relationship. This list I find very helpful in uh, the difference between happiness and joy. The list on the left does not hinder joy. In fact, lived through these things on the left, living through those well, actually enhance, enhances joy. The list on the right hinders joy. So adversity, adversity does not hinder joy. We won't take time to look up these references, but adversity doesn't hinder joy. Persecution doesn't hinder joy. In fact, Jesus says, uh, rejoice and be exceeding glad when you're persecuted. I'll next, maybe Wednesday evening, I'll talk about the rejoicing and the expression of joy more. But uh, persecution doesn't hinder joy. In fact, it's cause for joy. Cause for joy. Disappointment doesn't hinder joy. Suffering doesn't hinder joy. However, ingratitude, being ungrateful for the things we go through, that will hinder joy. So that's when you face something difficult or suffering or disappointment, uh, it's not that that hampers your joy. It's your incorrect response to that that hinders joy. Temptation doesn't hinder joy. James 1, 2 says, count it joy when you're tempted. But if you give in to the temptation and sin, that hinders joy. Success doesn't hinder joy. You can be successful in, in any good area of life, and it doesn't hinder your joy. But if you become selfish with that, it hinders joy. Failure doesn't hinder joy. But pride does. When we have pride, when we have pride and we experience failure, we are devastated. When we don't have pride, or when we repent of our pride as we went through failure, it doesn't have to hinder our joy. Our joy remains, but pride is a block to that joy. Success of others doesn't hinder joy, but if our response to the success of others is jealousy and envy, that does hinder joy. Surrendering my rights doesn't hinder joy, but stubbornness does. Dependence on Christ, making yourself completely vulnerable to his lordship, that doesn't hinder joy. But independence, trying to control my life and, and thinking that I need to be the boss of my life, that hinders joy. Grief doesn't hinder joy. However, excessive happiness does. There was a suicide note written by one who had everything that he wanted. He said, I'm completely fed up with being extremely happy. 
That was his suicide note. Excessive happiness hinders joy, can be a hindrance to joy. But grief, joy can remain and sustain through grief. See, joy is a proof of the Holy Spirit. Joy is the fruit of a conviction that Christ will eventually conquer through suffering. So suffering, grief, disappointment. The Holy Spirit fruit is a life within. And it has to do with us being connected to the source. Connected to the source. So the source of our joy is God through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Again, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So as you have chosen to believe in Jesus, receiving him into your life, through your surrender to his lordship and obedience to him, following, walking in his footsteps, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit. And you have the fruit. So you have love. You have joy. You have peace. You have patience. It's there as a fruit of the Spirit. Maybe we should stop asking God to give us love for people and start telling God, I am willing to love people. Maybe we should stop asking God for peace and tell God, by your grace, I am willing to let your peace rule in my heart. Maybe we should stop asking God for patience and acknowledge that we have the Holy Spirit and say, I choose to be willing to have patience with this person or this circumstances. In, in the same way, I believe we have the fruit of joy as a result of having the Holy Spirit. But I need to be willing to stop walking in the flesh and start walking in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, Scripture says. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit. Let's be willing to express joy. Let's be willing to respond to the difficulties we face with the knowledge that we have. Are you willing? Are you willing to have the joy of the Lord be your strength? <clears throat> How do we grow in the joy of the Lord? Joy is caused by love and what we know. Joy is caused by love and what we know. So when somebody just starts a new relationship, a romantic relationship, or they were just become engaged to be married, often they can't stop smiling. They know they're loved. 
they, they're experiencing love. They realize love. And they, it's something they know that's coming, that brings joy. How much more what we know about God and the love that we experience from God. That is what brings us joy. Joy is love realized. The gospel of joy, the good news of great joy. No man can take this away from us. It's something within. It's love realized. So going back to to this statement, joy is a fruit of a conviction that Christ will eventually conquer through suffering. If there is not a relationship with Christ, what is that to us? But if we have a relationship with that love relationship with Christ, and we have given him everything, our lives are all his, and we have suffered for him, and we're willing to, to sacrifice whatever for him, we will want him to conquer. So that isn't in vain. Joy is caused by love and by what we know. So giving and receiving love will grow the joy fruit. Being willing to receive love from God, however he sends it, it's most often through people. Being willing to receive the love of God in any and every way that he wants to send it will increase our joy. However humbling it may be. And then giving love as well. However costly it may be, giving love will bring joy. John says, love one another that your joy may be full. And it's in that relationship with, with people, with God, that face-to-face, -face, that asking, that experiencing love. And with God, it's about obedience to him. If we love him, we keep his commandments. Then our joy will be full. And we're willing to make whatever sacrifice that requires. So the pain of relationships. If you're in a love relationship, uh, there, that will be pain. There will be pain because... Love always is risky. Always. Love is always risky. Because when you give love or receive love both ways, there's possibility of rejection. There's possibility of people not responding to it. There's possibility of people not appreciating it. There's possibility of people turning and taking advantage of you. Always love is risky. Always. And yet it's worth it. It's worth the pain. It's worth the disappointments. It's worth pushing through the difficulties. Because as, as, our, uh, as we experience sorrow, weeping, lamenting, disappointment, as, as we experience that, we also have a greater capacity for joy. Our capacity for joy is increased as we are open to going through the difficulties that love relationships uh, will demand. How do we live in, in the joy of the Lord or live joyfully 
in the Lord. Well, giving expression to the joy that is there, and I want to talk more about that uh, later. <clears throat> but as I said, joy, the fruit of the Spirit, can be said is love smiling or love's cheerfulness. And there are three cheers that Jesus gave us. The cheer of forgiveness. This is a story um, where Jesus healed someone and forgave their sins. He said, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. So, receiving this forgiveness, being humble enough to repent and confess our sins, which is what is necessary to receive forgiveness, that brings joy. That brings joy. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And for us to express that, I think uh, we need to say this more often. We need to say, my sins are forgiven. Let's, let's do that. If your sins are forgiven this morning, say that with me. My sins are forgiven. Yes. Rehearsing that. Joy comes by what we know. So we need to rehearse the truth that what, what we know instead of letting all those negative thoughts and those doubts and the devil's ideas float through our heads and entertaining them. We need to repeat the truth that what we know. My sins are forgiven. That's the cheer of forgiveness. The second one is the cheer of companionship. And remember, in God's presence is fullness of joy. God is with us. God is with us. Be of good cheer, Jesus said. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I think this was when Jesus was walking on the water. And the disciples were afraid because they were in trouble. They were in tribulation. They were in grief. They were in disappointment. But Jesus was there. But his presence scared him too. And so he said, ah, this is in the world you will have tribulations. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He says, it's me. I'm here. Don't be afraid. So what do you know? Joy comes by through being loved and what you know. So what do you know? God is with me. Say it. God is with me. Again, God is with me. Let that joy rule in your heart. Just as, as you let peace rule in your heart and let patience have its perfect work, you don't need more patience. You have patience. You have the Holy Spirit. You're commanded to let patience have its perfect work. You can't say, well, I just don't have enough patience for this. No, no, no. You have patience. You're not willing to let it have its perfect work. Let patience have its perfect work, Scripture says. Let patience. Let peace rule. Let what you know bring you joy. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And the third cheer is the cheer of victory. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Joy is a fruit of conviction that Christ will eventually conquer through suffering. Are you willing to enter into that suffering? 
Because of your love relationship with God, you enter into what He is doing. And you are grieved over the lost souls. You are grieved over how His will is not being done. And you make sacrifices to pray that God's kingdom will come and His will be done. You enter into that tribulation, that persecution, those sacrifices, and you're willing to, to, as Paul said, complete the sufferings of Christ. If you're willing to do that, you will have grief, but you will have joy at the same time. Your joy will be underneath. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Let's pray.